Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. We'll get to the recording of this Sunday's message in just a moment, but first I want to ask, are you a listener who does not attend in person on Sundays, but who would be interested in meeting with other St. Paul's listeners in your area for a small group? Right now we have a couple people connected to St. Paul's who live in the New Haven shoreline area who would like to start an in-person small group you know, to meet for fellowship and discussion of the previous week's message. And so if you happen to be from the New Haven shoreline area and you would be interested in that, please email me to let me know. Ryan at stpaulswired.org. That's stpaulswired.org. And if you're not in that area, but you're in another area and you'd be interested in meeting with other listeners there, Email me to let me know what area you're from, and maybe we can put something together. In fact, even if you're not interested in a small group, but you're just a regular listener who doesn't attend in person, we'd love to hear from you just to know that you're out there, because uh, we don't really know how many people listen to this. So if you're willing, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. So this morning, we're joined by Pastor Brian Prue. He comes um, to us uh, from... Uh, Danbury, correct? <laughs> the Danbury area. He is married. He uh, has four daughters, the ages of 7, 9, 11, and 13. So uh, we're, we're so glad that they let him out and uh, he was able to join us today. Uh, he is a pastor and a leadership coach. So um, it's my honor to call him up at this time. Thank you so much for joining us today. My daughters are at the age where they're glad that I get out of the house. So, well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Uh, I always enjoy the gifts of presents with a T, so, uh, no, just kidding. But I love to start with a story. So this helps me envision what's happening in Scripture. So uh, it's, it's amazing how shame, fear, and hurt are such powerful motivators that they stick with us over time. After he started to follow Jesus... It was really easy because they didn't stay in his town. They got to leave. And he got to work out this new system of belief, this new opportunity to follow someone away from the people who knew him probably too well. But there has to be this moment where they're traveling around Israel and Matthew realizes, we're going to end up back in my town one of these days. And when I get back there... Everyone is going to remember who I was before, and no one is going to know who I am now. They're going to remember me as the tax collector, the guy that cheated, stole their money so that I could live better. And now I've been following this guy, Jesus, and I'm trying to live it out differently. And yet for those people, when I get back, they're only going to see who I was. And I have to believe that there's a challenge in Matthew's heart around two things. One, the question is, will people be able to forgive me and see me as someone different? 
And then there's the second part. Will I be able to actually forgive the people that have both hurt me in the past and may still hurt me in the future? We're talking about forgiveness this morning. For me, I love envisioning what the disciples are experiencing because when you're around Jesus, something shifts in your heart and life. Like, I have to believe that the disciples are seeing Jesus give the example of forgiveness day in and day out, whether they realize it's happening or not. And it is otherworldly when you see someone forgive regularly. It's really nice when someone does it at the end of a movie, and it's really dramatic, and it's happened once. But when day in, day out, Jesus is forgiving the disciples, I think it starts to make an impression. Because the disciples were kind of boneheads sometimes. They just did not get what was happening around them often. Often they were missing out on what Jesus was really doing. And I have to believe that we're in Matthew 18 this morning. I have to believe when there's this moment where Peter says, Hey Jesus, how many times should we forgive? He has a number in his mind. And he's thinking about someone possibly in the room. Jesus, how many times do we need to forgive? Matthew. Two? I mean, maybe three if we're generous. How long do we put up with this before we just kick him out and get a new disciple? I mean, there's enough people hanging around. We could probably pick up someone pretty easily to fill out this 12 number you got. And when Jesus answers that question, it's startling to the disciples because I think it is out of their concept that anyone would ever pick such a number. In classic Jesus style, he doesn't just say a number. He says 70 times 7. He forces them to do some math. Forces them to think about it. 490 times. I would wager, if you had to sit down and think through all the times that you've had to forgive someone, unless you've been married maybe like at least a year, it might not total 490 times. Because too often, we get to a point where we say, enough's enough. They've hurt me. They've shamed me. I'm afraid it will happen again. This feels like enough. And yet Jesus calls us into something different. Now, I always have to preface this message with this. If you're a victim of abuse, if you're in an unsafe place, you are still called to forgive but you are not called to stay in that place. Forgiveness is not an endorsement of behavior. It is not approval of what has happened and putting yourself exactly in the place once again. Forgiveness is a heart attitude and a transactional experience where we get to encounter the grace of the living God in a completely different way in our lives. So we're in Matthew 18. Uh, This is going to be out of the New Living Translation. Uh, if you're hardcore, it's the nearly legal translation, uh, if you use a different one. So, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be to a, compared to a king. This is Jesus telling a story. He often does this. A king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with the servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. I always pause here, because when I read that, I'm thinking, how wealthy is this king? that he does not know who this guy is until they start drawing up the accounts. If someone owed me millions of dollars, I would know not just their name. I would know where they live. I know how they spend their days. I would know a lot. 
probably too much. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, children, and everything he owned, to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, Please, be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave the debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Please be patient with me, and I will pay it. He pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until a debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Something that always grabs me in that story is the two men asked for mercy in the exact same way. Same words, same posture, pleading. Two different results. In this story, we know Jesus to be the good king who forgives. Forgiveness is a gift that Jesus has offered us because of his character, his nature, but also his work by going to the cross on our behalf, taking our sin and our shame so that we might be not just forgiven, but made right with the living God. Because of Jesus' life on earth, he has been able to offer us forgiveness for everything and anything over and above 490 times. Jesus continually offers his forgiveness to us both in a moment when we surrender our lives to him and then perpetually as we seek to live out life. Because I don't know about you, but following Jesus is probably the thing I get wrong the most. Because I have a better idea. Jesus, I know you want me to forgive this person, but it's 491. Let's just call it a day. Jesus, I don't know if you understand how much this hurts. I don't think you really realize what they've done to me. How can you ask this of me again? When I'm in those moments, I have to always remember that forgiveness, first and foremost, is a gift that my Savior has offered me. It is a gift. Often, when I was younger, I know you're thinking, he's so young already. Thank you. Uh, I thought that following Jesus was proving to him that I was worth the initial investment. That Jesus was going to get some good return on investments or good ROI out of me. Right? Jesus, I'm going to show you that your forgiveness is going to pay off dividends. This is going to be so worth your time. And while I believed forgiveness was a gift, I was spending my life trying to prove Jesus to Jesus that I was worth the gift. And I'll tell you this, I'll never be worth the gift. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. It'd be an investment. Jesus is not expecting me to prove to him that I was worth his forgiveness and grace. Because I'm never going to be. That's why it's grace. That's why it's a gift. And yet, we see it so often, maybe in your own lives, maybe in others, because what happens is at some point you start to believe that Jesus' forgiveness has run out for you. He can't possibly forgive me again for this. He can't possibly forgive me again for the words and thoughts that I allowed to dwell in my heart. He can't possibly forgive me again for missing it, for being such a terrible representation of who he is. He can't possibly, and yet he does. Our Jesus is the greatest gift giver in the world, and he offers us his forgiveness each and every day. And yet shame, fear, and hurt try to rob us from experiencing the wonder of that forgiveness every day of our lives. So I want to remind you, if you've forgotten, forgiveness is a gift that our Savior offers to you freely and generously, forever and always. Now, his forgiveness is not an endorsement of your behavior. It's not an approval of what you're doing. It's solely because he's created you to be his child. I've learned this firsthand being a parent. I am more ready to forgive my kids than I am to forgive myself. I am more ready to shower them with grace, especially when they make me dessert. No, I'm just kidding. But there's something about this gift that we need to be remembering is that it comes from a loving father who loves us. The gift of forgiveness is completely rooted in the love of Christ. And we are offered it freely. The second piece is this. Forgiveness is freedom. When you experience the forgiveness of God, you encounter something that is so otherworldly and awesome. It is meant to free up something in us. Guilt and shame and hurt should no longer have a say over how we live our lives because we have been freed by the Savior. There's some verses in Scripture where it talks about how far your sin is away from you when you experience the forgiveness of Jesus. One is that it will be put into a box, chained up, thrown into the deepest ocean. And that's how far it will be from you. Right? For us, that's like what? The Marinara Trench or Mariana Trench? Not the sauce, the whole. Uh, you know, somewhere off of Australia, that's a long ways away. It's great. I love that my sin's that far. It also talks about in Scripture how that your sin is going to be as far as the east is from the west, which, if you do the math, are completely opposite, so never close to each other, com- as far away as you can get. But I will tell you this. I did not experience the forgiveness of God with that kind of reality until I experienced the forgiveness given by other people in my life who love Jesus. Forgiveness from people who knew me, who knew I was going to get it wrong again probably, and forgave me anyway. I remember years ago, I deeply hurt someone very close to me, one of my best friends. 
deeply hurt. I had said some things. I had done some things. It was, it was one of those things where if you could wind back time, you would have paid any amount of money to do it. And I remember pouring out my soul and asking forgiveness and not believing that they'd be able to give it. Because I didn't trust the work that God had done in their life. Because I didn't trust the work God had done in my life. And when they gave it to me, it was like the most wonderful gift I had ever experienced. Now, we still had a lot of conversations after that. We had to work through a lot of things. Yet for the first time in my life, I understood what it meant to have my sin as far from me as the east is from the west. To actually understand the forgiveness of God in such a deep way because it was displayed to me by someone who loves him. I am a firm believer that the greatest gift that we can give this world is the forgiveness of Jesus. People will not believe that Jesus can forgive if his people don't. If we can't forgive, why would anyone believe Jesus will? We who have been given the greatest gift, we who have acknowledged that gift and decided to live our lives after him, we have to be a people that live out the forgiveness of God every place we step. Because this is the last piece. Forgiveness is a gift for others. If Jesus only came for me, well, we wouldn't have to meet. I could just hang out at my house. Enjoy it. Oh, thank you, Lord. feels so good. He's called to forgive the world of sin so that we might have a relationship with him that not just affects this life on earth, but goes into eternity. That when we experience surrender and forgiveness of our sins, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit that the Lord might work in us to produce in us something that we cannot produce for ourselves. So if you think you can't forgive someone, great. The Holy Spirit can. And if he's in you, he's going to work it out. I want to encourage you to even be thinking now, where are you withholding forgiveness that maybe the Lord's calling you to give? Maybe the person hasn't even asked for it. You want to make someone really angry? Forgive them before they ask. Oh, I mean, it's good, but how dare you do this to me? How dare you forgive me? Forgiveness is a gift that we give others that gives them just a glimpse of the love and the goodness of God and the way that he wants to speak into their lives, the way that he wants to come alongside and heal their hurt, their shame, their fear. Jesus wants to do something in and through us that is otherworldly. Because everything about our world right now says, you hurt me, you're dead to me. You don't like my posts online? I know no one's on Facebook anymore, but unfriend them. You don't respect who I am and the choices that I make? You have no part of me. When we offer the forgiveness of Jesus, we are doing something 
opposite to the world that displays our living Savior. So I'm going to ask you a couple questions as I kind of wrap up. Then I'm going to pray. Where do you need to encounter the forgiveness of God for yourself? Is there some place in your life where sin, hurt, fear, shame has told you that God either can't forgive you or he's low on forgiveness left? Is there some place you need to supernaturally experience the forgiveness of God again or for the first time? So that's one. Second, do you need to experience the freedom of God? in your life. That who you were is not who you have to be. That your past does not dictate who you are for your future. Matthew was a changed man because he followed Jesus. And I think when he walks back into his town, people notice the difference. Some people probably hated him for it, but I think a lot of people had a lot of questions. Who is this Jesus? that could do something so miraculous in this man's life. And then the last one, are you withholding the gift of forgiveness from someone? Is there someone in your life that you know the Lord is calling you to forgive? I would say two things about that. If you can't do it, I would encourage you to to press in and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And the second one is, if you are withholding forgiveness, I'm going to ask, do you trust that Jesus is a good and just God? Because if he is, then we can trust him. And we can forgive others without needing them to always have repented, without needing them to change, without needing them to know how much you've been hurt. Because God is going to take care of you. Let's pray. Lord God, first and foremost, thank you that you have forgiven us a wayward, sinful people who have never deserved your forgiveness and yet you have offered it freely. Jesus, thank you for coming and for dying on our behalf that we might not just have forgiveness, but we might have life with you now and forever. And thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit to work out these things that we cannot do by ourselves. Because Lord, in our flesh, it is almost impossible to forgive. But in you we have hope. So Holy Spirit, I pray you would come and you would speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, we, you know exactly what we need in this moment. Lord, and I pray that as we receive it from you, you would then allow us to go out and to be the hands and feet of Jesus as we bring your forgiveness, your mercy, your truth every place we step. Lord, let forgiveness be a mark of our community. In Jesus' name, amen.